there was a point I had to turn down freelance jobs. My last freelance job was with Disney, but they made YouTube videos. And that's really when I said, wait a second here, this is what I need to be doing when I'm not working. About a year and a half later, I'm at a point where I'm thinking, okay, you've got to let that go so that this can grow. So then that was really tough because we had financially just been scraping by just mm. grace of God. Like we don't know how we made it some months. And then finally my YouTube channel, it's right on that cusp. I told my wife, I said, Jenny, here's the numbers. Here's where it's gone over the last few months. If I let go of all my freelance work, this could really take off. So that was a scary point, but I got to do it. I'm not not going to mention somebody because they don't pay me. I'm going to mention things or shout outs or whatever because it's a good product. And so I'm doing stuff like that all the time. And I think that's something that I've learned along the way is, hey, just be giving first. Don't expect or don't try to always get stuff. The right things will come along. The universe has a way of giving back if you're a giving person. But if you're greedy, stingy, forget it. Nothing good is really going to happen. Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thanks so much for joining us, and please subscribe to the show so you hear all about our upcoming episodes and you can enter our latest golf product giveaway. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is Matt Fisher, who is an entrepreneur and the founder, creator, and host of the wildly popular Mr. Short Game YouTube channel. If that isn't enough to keep Matt busy, he's also a golf travel vlogger, golf entertainer, public speaker, comedy writer, and he's got a podcast too. And also, as he likes to put it, that I've seen his videos and I truly believe this, motivational friend. Mm. So with that introduction, Matt, hey, welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast. Thanks, Colin. It's a pleasure to be here. I, li I like that. A motivational friend. That's my favorite. I know. Well, hey, that's what LinkedIn told me. And uh, I, like I said, I've seen you. And but we're going to dig into this, Matt. Cool. But I, I, I love the connection you have, your authenticity, the consistency that you put out there. And I could see this genuine nature of what you do, the passion and just giving back. And that energy, you've got this infectious energy <laughs> that just gets me going. And I want you to share that with our audience today. So hey, to get us going here... Come. Rather than talking about business side, you went to San Diego State yep. University for journalism and your work to lead up to the creation of Mr. Short Game. Let's talk about your connection to golf. You've obviously played for a long time. So talk about your first golf experience. How did you first get into the game of golf? Well, that started when I was 18. Uh, was my first, let's say, round of golf ever. Wow. Thanksgiving Day, 1989, uh, with my grandfather, Canyon Lake Country Club out in Lake Elsinore area, California. So that was my first round. You know, before that, I had a friend who worked at a driving range in Carmel Mountain Ranch. They used to have a driving range there. So he worked there. So I would go hit balls, but nothing really until that first round. That was really kind of the the piece that led me into the game. Wow. See, see, I was surprised. I, I don't know you at all. That's why I love this conversation. It's going to be lots of unfolding here. Uh, I would have thought you would, the answer would have been, you know, I was four years old. I've been doing <laughs> it since I was a little kid. So you're obviously an athletic guy. I've seen you. So did mm -hmm. you play lots of other sports? And why did it take you until you were 18 before you picked up a golf club? Well, when I was a kid, my grandfather always played. We'd go out to Lake Havasu and he would go play on vacation. I would say, hey, can I go? Can I go? He's like, no, you're too little. So whatever, I just kind of blew it off. I just wanted to go hang and 
it seemed like fun. But one time my parents took me after that. I would always ask my grandfather every summer, you know, he would never do it. So they took me, I'm like eight or nine years old. They took me to this golf course, put me in a clinic when I was a kid one time and go figure the one time I went, it was a putting clinic. Most boring hour of my life. They just assumed this is not for him. So I always played soccer and growing up and then I in high school, I wrestled and then I was on the track team. I pole vaulted in high school. So played Pop Warner football growing up too. So a lot of different sports. But then after I graduated high school, I knew that, okay, wrestling was, there's a short window of my life. I can actually do that. So that's when I started thinking about, for the first time in my life, my rest of days on earth, like what can I do my whole life to play a sport? And that's how golf kind of got in, in the way. It, in the way, I feel like in the, in, in the way. So, yes, you were the, the the reluctant golf professional. It sounds like, yeah. Well, so you're mm-hmm. 18 years old. I'm sure if you kind of fast forward yourself at a time machine to us sitting down in this conversation, you probably could have never imagined that you'd be doing this for 11. So let's dig into the the journey. So you went to SDSU for journalism. So then from there, tell us what after you finished up school there, what were you doing professionally? What type of work were you doing that kind of set the foundation for what yeah. you're doing now? Well. Okay, so I'm 18, started playing golf, practiced my butt off. Actually, my last year of college, walked on to the team at San Diego State. So I got to play for a season with the golf team. I got to be on the golf team for a season. A lot of good, fortunate things happened. You know, Lady Luck was on my side for that year. But I knew, like, okay, this is a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I was going to make the most of it, and I did. But then as I was graduating, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I would love to pursue golf. But I knew, okay, I'm not going to be in school anymore. So being on a team isn't a reality. So I don't have free golf anymore. It was either work at a golf course for free golf and really make no money doing that, you know, whatever you're doing on the golf course at entry level or go into my other passion, which was the TV and film industry, which I've always wanted to be in since I was a little kid. So those are my choices. So I chose to go in the film industry in Los Angeles. Nice. So I've seen just looking at your resume on LinkedIn there that you've kind of cut your teeth working with Disney. You've worked with CBS. Mm -hmm. You've still between writing and content producing. Sounds like that was really part of your secret sauce to allow you to do what you're doing. I'm assuming now you're creating all your own content. You do all your own writing. You've got basically got all these skills now. So I'm assuming you're pretty much a one man show for what you're doing. Pretty much. Yeah, I know it was 20 years in the TV industry really trained me and YouTube didn't exist when I went in the TV industry. There was nothing. DirecTV was brand new. And so that was just a new thing. And I was working for a company that produced segments for DirecTV when they all DirecTV did at the time was show movies. And they had a whole network that was DirecTV. They had their own satellite dish. So they had many channels to fill space. So the company I worked for created content around movies. So believe it or not, that was like very similar to what YouTube is today. And it's these short little three, four, five, eight minute videos about something. And we did it in those times about movies. So some behind the scenes where James Bond drove a car. So we went to the car dealership and these guys who tricked out cars. And so we would do segments very similar to, so 20 years of that kind of editing and producing, I guess I was ready at some point to do YouTube. 
Yeah, so you're built for this. Absolutely. So I, I talked to a, a lot of entrepreneurs on the show, and some of them are in tech, and some of them are influencers, are, are content creators, kind of the whole spectrum. But I noticed with all of them that you see that aha moment, those pain points that usually you experience yourself. Mm-hmm. And so tell me this, the time you were playing with your grandpa at 18, the time you got good enough in your fourth year at SDSU that you're on the golf team, how did you develop your own golf swing? There was no YouTube. So mm-hmm. was that painful? Was that trial and error? Did you get lessons? So how did you go from being not good to actually being an elite level golfer? Good question. Uh, so I took a lesson. My grandfather said, hey, I'll pay for lessons because he knew I, I was getting into it. I took a lesson. It was the horrible experience. And I knew nothing. I just went there and I said, hey, how far did the pros hit their seven iron? And he's like, don't, don't worry about that. I said, well, how far do they hit it? He's like, you're not going to hit it as far as the pro. Like he just discouraged me every step of the way. And right. so after I made the golf team a few years later, I went back and I put my SDSU golf bag right next to him. And I just hit seven irons for like an hour and a half. <laughs> and I just, you know, I just Screw hated you. That. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I was, I remember the first time I saw my swing on video, I had my mom, you know, we had a camcorder and you video it and then you go home, you hook it up to your VCR and you watch it. It was like the first time you heard your voice from a recording when you were a kid. You're like, who's that? Like, that's what I was looking at. I'm like, my swing's horrible. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> but I would look at magazines, Payne Stewart photos, and I would just look at that and I would try to copy positions in the mirror. And then obviously when I saw my swing for the first time, I looked nothing like any of these guys. So it was, it was hard. But here's what helped me. I, I had no money. Zero. So all I could do for practice was whatever was free, which was putting and chipping. And so then I would do that and I'd go to the different driving ranges where a lot of people would get a bucket of balls. It was close to the first tee. So then they would just go leave their balls and tee off when their tee time was there. So and then I would just go grab their balls. So I yeah, would yeah. be there all day just to collect a few <laughs> baskets of balls. And so in between, I just would chip and putt. Right. Right. And most people think entrepreneurship, whether they're watching Shark Tank and they think, you know, all of a sudden you get funded for, you know, millions of dollars for something you just thought of yesterday, which is so not true. When I look at you, I'm looking at on my other screen here. I'm looking at your YouTube channel and all the videos. And the first one you put on there was 13 years ago. So this is Mr. Shark Game is like mm-hmm. an overnight success, 13 years in the making. So what gave you the confidence or even the desire to start putting content out there? And even 10 years ago or so, I see that the brand you had at that time was the golf mat mm. show. So tell us about the early days of you creating content and why you decided to put it out there. So I'm in San Diego. YouTube just comes out in 2005. And I think it was a dating website to begin with. You know, that's how yeah. it basically started. But then people started posting videos. So I said, okay, I want a place where I could put videos with me and my kids. That was the initial idea. I was teaching them. So I had some drills and things like that. So I was like, let me brand it a little bit and just make something of it. I was also doing some freelance work, videography, and I said, well, if I'm going to do the freelance work, let me do stuff I love. So I would pursue golf clients. And then what I would tell them is, I'll give you a discounted rate if we put the video on my YouTube channel and then you just link it to your website from there. It doesn't matter to them because they don't have a YouTube channel. They could care less. They just want people to view whatever it is they want to sell. And so that's what what I would do. And then we would do some spec spots like a Titleist commercial for a glove or whatever. Then they would use this video to go hopefully get Titleist to sponsor their website or whatever they were doing. So these videos would live on my site. I said, hey, if YouTube ever does become something, then I have some videos there to help build up my brand. 
Yeah, the, the validator. Well, we talk about it in entrepreneurship, whether it's a physical product or mm-hmm. whatever it is, your minimum viable product, rather than just waving your hands in the air and just talking about what you're going to do, get out there and start doing things and start to test. We call this feedback loop where you're actually building, testing, measuring, whether it's by how many downloads you get or the engagement that you have and see what's working and what doesn't. So in the early days, three years in, let's say 10 years ago, when you created the golf mat mm-hmm. show and started to put more content out there, what did you find early on was resonating, even though it was still the early days of YouTube? What was working that encouraged you that you started to double down on? And what did you actually stop doing because it wasn't working, if you can remember back that far? Yeah, I think back then, the popular things on YouTube were like movie reviews and other things that I really wasn't going to do. There weren't any golfers at all on YouTube. So I honestly never thought that it would take off. See, in Hollywood, in that space, what you have is a reel. Whatever you work on, you put it together, and that's your resume in video format. It's like, hey, I did these commercials. And so this would become, in my mind, this is my reel of golf clients that I did commercials for and that it will lead me to bigger clients. So that's what kept me going, at least keeping some videos here and there. So I didn't pursue it hardly at all. Other than, hey, this is just a place, whatever golf content I do create, I'm going to put it here. Got it. You were working in the television and movie industry at the time. So this is really your side hustle. You're just doing this to Mm -hmm. kind of tinker. It's almost like what people would build something in their garage, right? And put it together in a way. It sounds like that's what you were doing. It was really a side hustle to kind of figure this out. So, So let's talk about that inflection point. When did you then create... The Mr. Short Game brand and realizes like to all entrepreneurs, you got to find your differentiator, your niche there. because so you don't uh-huh. want to be like everybody else. You want to find something that really makes you stand out. When did you realize that focusing on the short game, even though you do much more than that to start yeah. out in the brand, Mr. Short Game was something. So tell us about that, the birth of Mr. Birth. Short Game. So I'm in Orlando at the PGA show 2016, I think, 2016, 2017, right in there. And I was working with, I would go there with my friend Pete from AmateurGolf.com. I'll give him a little shout out. He was there with me from the beginning. So I was just doing freelance work for him and his website, and I would shoot video with him. So we're there, and we're playing golf. And he's like, Matt, you got to do something. You're great in front of the camera. You got to do something with your YouTube channel. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're playing golf. I chip in like three shots. I won all the money wherever we were playing out there. We would shoot videos and then go golf as soon as we could. Yeah, yeah. So he, he, he was basically mad at me. He's like, well, he's like, if you do something, you should do something around the short game. It's like 60% of your score, 70% of your score. He's like, I forget the number, but you got to do something around the short game. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. So we go out to dinner. We go to some uh, Cuban place. He's like, Matt, they've got the best coffee. And I'm a big coffee drinker. So I'm like, cool. So we get a cup of this coffee before dinner. And I'm like, man, that was good. That was good. So then after dinner, I get another cup of coffee. And so I'm wired all night. I can't sleep. I'm in my room. It's 1 a.m. I'm lying there in bed going, what am I going to do? This is ridiculous. So I start thinking about the YouTube channel. So I start just Googling like what websites could I buy? What domain names are available? I'm like, okay, how about the short game? Or obviously Dave Pelz had like the short game guru. Right. So I'm like, what about like Mr. And I was like, Mr. Short Game, nah, that's taken. No one's gonna and I so then I searched it. Oh, Mr. Short Game. And I'm like, that's available. So <laughs> all night I'm buying websites, I'm switching over Instagram accounts, Twitter, every Facebook, you name it, everything I got related to that. That's what I did. I was up till like four AM. No nice. sleep. So that's the birth of the name. 
I love that story. So it seems it's either caffeine or, or beer is usually the great creative lubricant that right. makes things flow. In your case, it definitely was uh, two really good cups of coffee. So, okay. So then you realize there was this opportunity and you pivoted, as we talk about in the entrepreneurship space, that you pivoted. Once you started to roll in creating content, was it that shoot ready aim type of approach or based on your background in television, did then you take more of a long term? Did you script out how you were going to then roll out your content and have a strategy behind that or you just go for it? What, what did you do in the early days? Well, ironically enough, I also own the domain ready shoot aim. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. That was so random. I, know, I was like, did, so how did you know that? So random. So that whole year, I created my website, but I'm working, sort of working in um, the industry, and I end up losing my my job in TV. You know, whatever the company went under. So yeah. there goes that. So I'm out of work. I, so I'm spending most of the year looking for work, and I probably have about a year saved up. So I'm, you know, I was fairly smart with my money. So I'm spending the year looking for another job, and a whole year goes by, nothing. Like I'm getting little freelance gigs here and there. So I didn't really have a whole lot of time to dedicate to Mr. Short Game. Yeah, that was 2016. So 2017 hits and I'm like, okay, now what do I do? So most of 2017 goes by, I'm still looking for work. I'm still struggling. We're going broke. I'm dying. And so kind of the end of 2017, I tell my wife like, hey, uh, like nothing's working. So I'm going to go full-time YouTube. And I had 2,500 subscribers at the time. Like, that's zero. So, no, I didn't have much of a strategy other than I said, okay, no one's going to search for me. The only way I could probably get any traction is to do product reviews because that's what people actually search for. So that was kind of my strategy was like, okay, let me put out a ton of product reviews. And in between those, I'll do tips and stuff that I had taught my kids over the years. Mm -hmm. So that was the strategy. Got it. But that strategy of, of quadrupling down on YouTube as compared to trying to do five things at once. And as an entrepreneur, I can admit, I, I've fallen into that trap before. You hold on to some things way too long where you should let them go and just focus all your energy on one thing. And that allows you to build up consistency and resiliency and figure stuff out as you go. And I see now you're posting two, three times a week with your content. So obviously you've got a schedule now as how mm -hmm. you work this out and shoot that. But even back in the day, it seems like you're at least putting content out there consistently and even your voice and your message. And like I said, you're, you're such a giving guy and I can see it's very sincere of you connecting with people and wanting people to improve. I can just feel that in the way you project yourself in your videos and that's very authentic and that's part of your brand. And it's, it's amazing. So I think for you that deciding to focus is a strategy because in a lot of cases, people do not focus. A lot of entrepreneurs, including myself, focus <laughs> is sometimes a big issue of how you want to spend your time and being consistent because that builds trust and people come to expect and look forward to what you're doing. I will admit even with the podcast, I've got some other balls that I'm juggling in the entrepreneurship space and golf with product and, and technologies we're building. And that takes a lot of my time Yeah, that I'm not getting as many podcast episodes out there as I, as I want. I see the difference once I start getting them out every week rather than being sporadic that it starts to build. So it's not glamorous. It's not sexy stuff, but in entrepreneurship, but if you're just consistent, like you're doing next thing, you know, like Mr. Short Game, you almost have 200,000 subscribers now. I guess you're going to be celebrating that coming up pretty soon too, huh? It's crazy. I, you know, it's funny. Like you mentioned like content strategy and things like that. Like it's just recently I've really like honed in on a specific strategy and that through mentorship and things like that, but that's really helped. So now that I've gotten to where I am, now I'm really starting to get even more razor focused in terms of like, okay, what's my content strategy specifically? 
And so it's been great. And now I'm gaining over a thousand new subscribers a day the last few days, like the last week. Like it's really starting to to now finally, I mean, it's been good, but it's, it continues to grow exponentially. So that's, it's exciting now. I mean, it's always been exciting. But you're getting to that tipping point now where it's ready to go kaboom. Rick Shields has to look out. You're going to be ready to nip it at his heels pretty well, soon. I don't know about that, but he's pretty <laughs> far up there. <laughs> true, true. But I do love the fact you're saying you need to focus. And that takes discipline, which is hard to do. But one of those things you also learn with golf. Golf is so very consistent, I guess, a bit of a metaphor there, where you have to be focused and mm-hmm. consistent. And believe me, I still hit some shots and it'll be a poor shot. And it's like, was I even looking at the ball? What was I thinking? Like, yeah. was, well, I may as well have my eyes closed there. And that focus that you need, I think it was Steve Jobs. Bob said something along the line where he was more proud of the things that he said no to or let go than yeah. the things that he built. And it sounds like with you, that's the case. The fact that you're now focused on that and you're seeing kind of the fruits of your labor of putting that energy in. So what were some of the things that even though emotionally you love doing them, that maybe some of your babies that you had to let go of there, that some features or aspects that you can tell us about that you were doing that you're no longer doing because it was just too much. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, obviously there was a point at which I had to turn down freelance jobs. My last freelance job was with Disney. And that was really, even pre-Disney, it was Maker Studios, which got bought by Disney. So kind of the same company, but they made YouTube videos. And that's really when I said, wait a second here, this is what I need to be doing when I'm not working, which wasn't very often anyways. So I had a lot of time, but about a year and a half later, I'm at a point where I'm thinking, okay, you've got to let that go so that this can grow. So then that was really tough because we had financially just been like scraping by just Mm. grace of God. Like we don't know how we made it some months. And then finally my YouTube channel, it's right on that cusp. And I, I told my wife, I said, Jenny, here's the numbers. Here's where it's gone over the last few months. If I let go of all my freelance work, this could really take off. So that was a scary point, but I got to do it because this is the only thing that's growing. Everything else is, is shrinking. Right, right. And I know for entrepreneurs that crossing that chasm, and that takes a lot of courage and it is freaking scary to do, to double down and, and commit yourself to that. I'm actually teaching an entrepreneurship course right now in marketing. And one of the things we're talking about is opportunity cost, right? Right. And if you spend that time working, and I do the same thing, I still have clients way back from my architectural career contacting me, wanting me to do 3D animation and those things that I used to do. And I have to say no to those and turn them down, even though yeah. in some ways it's like, well, you know, it's a little more revenue that this month that I can cover some costs, but all of a sudden me taking time doing that is time away. And even teaching, I've been teaching more and I have to be honest, actually stop doing that, even though I love it because there's only so many hours in the day. Right. So that opportunity cost, you made that decision as scary as that is, and now it's it's paying off. So I want to ask you this now, Matt, now that you're to that next level, I'm sure other <laughs> things keep you up at night. It's never <laughs> never calm at all zenny, I'm sure. If it's so, calm, I'm, I'm doing something wrong. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So whether it's through tech and scaling mm-hmm. up a, a business, so you have this opportunity now. And two of the ways you can scale up what you do with the content you produce is by automating certain pieces and then by outsourcing or delegating or empowering other people to take over some of the other pieces so you can focus on the business rather than so much in the business of Mr. Short Game. So what are some of the things you've done over the last year or so and things that you're planning on doing Mm -hmm. so that you can then take it to the next level? So yeah, good question. I outsource all my web tech stuff. So before I would do all that, it would take forever. I'm horrible at it. 
So I just hired a company and said, okay, you do all of that, my website stuff. If I'm uploading videos for, let's say, online subscription on that side, they handle all that stuff. If I want to make a change, they're doing it. So paying a little bit for that, but I don't have to deal with it, which is good. My son helps me filming with the camera, and then he'll edit some stuff, mostly the subscription-based videos. Those are a lot easier to edit. But I still edit all my stuff on YouTube just because that's me. That's me. No one's really going to tell the story of me better than me. Plus, editing for me is very quick, and I do enjoy it. So although I would like to hand it off, it would be a lot easier. I don't know if I trust anybody to do it. and I, So I don't know. At some point, I will, but for now, I'm still doing the editing. Yeah, well, you've got even more of a background in the, in the industry than I do, but myself having my own studio where I was doing 3D animation and special effects and mo motion graphics. So I do the same thing that on our YouTube channel that I like to play around with that. It is kind of fun and I've got it automated enough, but you're right. Eventually need to outsource that. And even for me, all the podcasts, I think as our listeners know, because I've said it a couple of times, I'm the one that then every episode is the one that edits all my ums and ahs and stammers and you know. <laughs> so everybody actually thinks I'm quite eloquent and perhaps even have some professional training, but I use that Photoshop for my voice. So I get all of those stammers and the bad stuff out of there. But eventually you've got to outsource that so you can focus on, right. uh, on the business part. So, hey, wanted to ask you this. Of course, we're going to jump over uh, to a video portion because, of okay. course, we want to create a little bit of content for our YouTube channel. Not quite the following that you have. We're just starting out, but yeah. we're definitely putting in our, our effort there. So I'm going to ask some different questions. I, I wanted to share some other things. But I, I want you to provide an example uh, or tell a story. You're a really great storyteller. I've heard you on your channel here. So talk about a success story or someone that's reached out to you through the work that you've done that just makes you, gives you, the, gives you the feels. It gives you that warm, fuzzy feeling that makes it all yeah. worthwhile that you've helped out someone or maybe a couple of stories there? There's a lot. I think what you touched on something as far as just being giving. My motto has always been in the video, like three things. I want to give something for free, whatever. It's like a tip, a drill. Like There's got to be some free information. I want it to be entertaining on some level because I just hate being bored myself. And then I want people to get to know me on some level. So whether that's through my personality or something I share in a video, like I want them to connect with me, feel like they know me. So those are the three things. So one of the things I did on the entrepreneurial side of this, people might not realize like, hey, there's a benefit to just everything you do. Like I'm doing a video. In my video, I mention a product. And I said, hey, it's a V1 golf app for videoing your swing. And I just mentioned it in a video because that's something I used for years before I even started YouTube. That was the app I used. So in the video, I said, hey, download the app. It's free. Just use that. But in this video, I'm actually going to use something else just to make it easy for me. I have a track man. So I'm going to use the track man, right? It's just, right. and it, it just integrated easier for the video side. So anyways, I get an email from V1. They're like, hey, can we talk to you? I'm like, yeah, well, yeah, it's weird. So they got like thousands of downloads and they started like, how did this happen? And so they started asking people, where'd you, how'd you fear about us? So they mentioned me. So they reached out to me and then we developed a relationship just organically, just because I mentioned it. So I'm not, not going to mention somebody because they don't pay me or something. Like I'm going to mention things or shout outs or whatever, because it's a good product and so I'm doing stuff like that all the time. And I think that's something that I've learned along the way is, hey, just be giving first. Don't expect or don't try to always get stuff. The right things will come along. The universe has a way, you mentioned earlier, like the universe has a way of giving back if you're a giving person. But if you're greedy, stingy, forget it. Nothing good is really going to happen. 
I agree. That, that's such a great insight that you just provided there. And and to expand upon that, Matt, I know you embrace the power of partnerships and collaborations rather mm-hmm. than, yeah, you, you're not one of those, I want all the toys in the sandbox type of guys here. I want the entire pie. Lots of pies out there. The pie keeps getting bigger. It right? keeps right. expanding there. So talk about that as far as that just developed organically. I know the reason you and I connected is uh, Lisa Kesar, who I've had on the podcast, you did a collaboration with her and I believe with, I don't know if it was Golfholics or someone yeah. else that you did a video with. So so talk about that as things kind of expand for you. What opportunities do you uh, look at in these partnerships to knowing that a rising tide lifts all boats metaphor here? I love that. And that's what YouTube is built on is community and supporting each other. And so I've always known that golf industry, it's anti-community. These golf pros, the, the professionals, if you show up in their driving range, like they don't like you. For the most part, before YouTube, I was trying to be a golf instructor. I'm like, man, that would be cool. Like, that would be good. And it was like, no, stay away. You're going to steal clients. And I said, you don't think I might bring clients? Like, is it only a thievery going on here? And Hollywood industry is very similar. So, but YouTube's totally different. YouTube's all about community. So when I started, I said, look, I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with that type of exclusionary attitude. So. I reached out to Golfholics. You know, they were cool. They collaborated with me early on before anybody knew who I was. And that was huge for me. And they're still great friends. We're doing stuff in a couple of weeks together. So that continues to, to grow. And so I try to collaborate as much as possible. I was out in um, California a few weeks ago with the Bogey Brothers. They have like 2,000 and something followers. I'm like, look, I don't care. You guys are cool. You're good people. Let's do something. And good things happen when you're giving like that. Not that I'm the greatest guy in the world, but I've made, believe me, I made my fair share of mistakes even getting where I am and stuff I wish I could undo. And But I, you learn and you like, you get better. So I'm grateful to help out when I can or be part of somebody. And it's not like, oh, I'm so big now that whatever. It's not that. It's more like, hey, if I can help, I'm going to help because I know that helped me when I was in your space. Nice, nice. And I can I could just sense, and I've seen that, that sense of gratitude that you have and that you built into your DNA now, which yeah. sadly a lot of people don't have. And I found that the best entrepreneurs, the most successful entrepreneurs and leaders, they have those similar characteristics, those traits of empathy, gratitude, curiosity, and tenacity and resilience. And those could be built up over time, like just like building up right. the, uh, a Japanese sword, right? As far as the metal there mm. to keep pounding it away over time, right? We're not necessarily born with all those traits. Those can be developed and, and refined as we go. And you've certainly done a great job of that. Like I said, I just love what you do. I'm a, I am a fan and I've <laughs> learned so much and you have improved my chipping. And I love this. I think this is about going through your feed. I think this is about three years ago. I don't know if it was at your house or your parents' house in the backyard in the pool where you're chipping. It was a rainy day and you're chipping away and you had five tips. And I watched that video three times and I took that out to practice that on the course. Yeah. And it easily saved me five strokes that day. So thank yeah, you that was that. when that was my house in LA. We sold it and moved out to Georgia last July. So that's the thing. I had to do stuff at my house. I put a big net in my backyard and did the thing. And I was like, look, I got to do what I got to do. And that's kind of the entrepreneurial mindset. I had no money. I had sold all my camera equipment, all of it. I shot on my iPhone. I'm in the backyard. It's LA in the valley, 100 degrees outside. My iPhone's overheating. I had to put it in the freezer for 20 minutes, come back, do the other shot. Like that's how I started. So I know what it is to grind it out. Believe me, I, I want to be the best golf YouTuber out there. 
but I'm not going to say at all costs. Like that's not part of the equation. What is part of the equation is, hey, how many friends, how much community can we build along the way? And I've tried with some people, they're like, oh, you know, I charge $10,000 to come and do something. You know, like, oh, that's, that's too bad because like I'm free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> everybody's different. Everybody's got their kind of business model, but, but I try to do whatever I can. I'm flying out to LA twice in the next two weeks to do stuff with people I've met along the way, little stuff, community building. And that's not coming out of my own pocket just because I know, like, I think this stuff's worth it. Well, that virtuous circle, that's certainly something that you've been developing and it's certainly paying off with what you're doing. And it's part of your brand. It kind of sounds like it's manufactured, but it's just part of who you are. And as my dad told me a long time ago when I was a teenager, I think it was when I was, well, obviously it was when I was lying about something. I may have stole some of his beer again. I don't know what it was. But he said to me, he goes, Colin, just remember that the truth is easier to remember than a lie. I love that. And I went, it's so true. And attention between sons and fathers is like, nah, I'm never going to listen to anything. That's one that sticks with me, right? The truth is easier to remember than a lie. And you can always be authentic if you're just true to yourself. And you are certainly that. It just comes out in spades with all the good stuff that you do. And the exciting thing, what I see is, you're, man, you're just getting started. You're right at that break there that this thing's going to go kapow. Yeah. Well, hopefully as soon as this COVID thing is over, I'm up here in Canada in Vancouver, okay. so I can't even come across. So uh, uh, I'm hoping whether it's at the PGA show or sometime soon in San Diego or wherever else, I'd love to hang out with you and maybe play a round of golf. Maybe you could even look at my lame golf swing and my uh, mediocre chipping technique and maybe make it even a little bit better. You never know. Yeah. Chipping is easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you give me more confidence. That's for sure. And I do strongly recommend all of our listeners to go to the Mr. Short Game YouTube channel. We'll, of course, include the links for all of the great things Matt is doing, how you connect with Matt and Mr. Short Game in the show notes and also in his bio that we have here we make sure we do all those good things. So I've got a ton more questions, but I want to hold off. See, I'm trying to be focused and disciplined for it. a change. Good Something stuff. new for me. So I'll <laughs> hold off on that. So I've got to ask some of those questions when we jump over to our video portion for the YouTube channel. And I'm going to ask you more there. So, hey, Matt Fisher, the founder, creator, and host of Mr. Short Game YouTube channel, YouTuber extraordinaire. <laughs> I think I've already said all that needs to be said, but anything else there just as far as how people can find you on social media or the best way to connect to learn about all the good things you do? Yeah, just Mr. Short Game everywhere. That's where you'll find me. Look at that. Another great lesson also for all you entrepreneurs out there. Keep your brand simple. Keep it consistent. One message rather than 14 things, just one call to action. And that's just nailing it there. So Matt, thanks so much for joining me today on the Mod Golf Podcast. I've loved this conversation. Great times. Thanks. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my fun, fast-paced, and informative conversation with Matt Fisher, founder and host of the Mr. Short Game YouTube channel. If you'd like to learn more about Mr. Short Game, visit our episode show page where we've included website links and Matt's contact information. The video link for my extended conversation with Matt is also on the episode show page. And please consider subscribing to our Mod Golf YouTube channel while you're there. If you leave a comment, I promise to respond. Please join me next time when my guest is Brian Crawford, who is the RBC Canadian Open Tournament Director with Golf Canada. I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor partners, Golf Genius Software and British Columbia Golf for helping make the Mod Golf podcast happen. Without their support, I wouldn't be able to bring you these engaging stories from golf's brightest innovators and influencers. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship and community building in the golf industry, you can find more compelling episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen in. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks so much for joining us. Bye for now.